44. And we'll begin reading at verse 44. If you, have a, if you don't have your own Bible, I'd encourage you to bring your own Bible. And also, if you don't have a Bible, come and talk to me. I'll recommend a good Bible for you. Um, if you don't have a good, a good Bible. Um, but if you, if you don't have one with you today, please turn to the New Testament section to page 91, which is where you'll find Luke chapter 24. And we begin reading at verse 44. But first, let's bow our heads and let's continue in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we prayed in our prayer of confession this morning, our heads are filled with nonsense. There are so many distractions that we have that draw us away from ourselves that draw us away from one another and that draw us away from you. We pray, dear Lord, that you would still whatever is in our hearts and minds that would cause us to be distracted today. We pray, dear Lord, that you would cause us to be drawn to you. that you might fill us with a desire to hear what you would say to us. O Lord, may we be attentive to your voice today. Speak, O Lord, for we are your servants and we're listening. Hear us as we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture this morning, as I say, is from Luke chapter 24, and we begin reading at verse 49, uh, verse 44, sorry, Luke 24 and verse 44. Then he, that is Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Over the last few months, we've been talking about what a wonderful storyteller Luke is. We've thought about how he's, he's taken many of the threads from the Old Testament and he's, he's woven them through his telling of the story of Jesus. Particularly some of the threads that we encountered in the very beginning of the gospel, in the birth narratives. We thought to some extent about the way that, that this gospel differs from the other gospels and how it does so uh, in ways that Luke tells the story of Jesus in a way that touches the lives of his original hearers in, in the ways that, that they need to hear and that they need to grasp the story. 
In the same way, the other gospel writers do a similar thing. They tell the story in ways that their first readers, their first hearers need to hear the story of Jesus. One of the things that Luke does, as we've already looked at, is he, he paints the disciples in such a way, in a very real way, that the disciples stand in for his original hearers. How the disciples see, experience, how they encounter and respond to Christ is the way that his original readers and hearers responded to their own experience of Christ. And by extension, I think we can say with some certainty that he not only makes the connection between the disciples and his own <coughs> community of hearers, but he makes that same connection with anyone who hears the gospel and responds to their, can I say, responds to our encounter with Christ. The disciples are standing in for us as well in other words. We see this very clearly in chapter 24 that we've been working through over the last few weeks. We see the women in the garden being reminded of the stories and of the teaching of Jesus in the same way when we gather together for, for, for worship, for fellowship, for study, we are reminded of who Jesus is and all that he's done as they encountered the risen Lord in their remembrance, so we also encounter the risen Lord. We see the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus having the scriptures opened up to them, as well as the disciples in the upper room having the scriptures opened to them so that their minds were opened. And in, in the opening up and the expounding of the scriptures, they encountered the risen Lord. In the same way, whenever scripture is, is read, whenever it's expounded faithfully, our minds are open and we encounter the risen Lord. We see the same two disciples at table with this stranger. And we know it's Jesus. For them, it's a stranger. And we read that in the breaking of the bread, their eyes were opened. And they realized that the stranger uh, uh, was the Lord Jesus himself. The sense here is that, that in the sacrament they encountered the risen Lord. Often when the sacrament is, is spoken of, it's a, it's a kind of shorthand way uh, for talking about the whole of worship. So in the midst of their worship, they came face to face with Jesus in the same way when we are in the midst of our worship, worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, then we come face to face with the risen Lord. When we have all the disciples gathered together in the upper room, in the passage we read last week, and Jesus appears in their midst, they're, they're talking about the ways in which they have encountered him. His name is on their lips. They're, they're, they're gathered in his name, and there he is. All of a sudden he's there and he's speaking peace to them in the same way the scriptures fulfilled that says where two or three are gathered in my name there am I in their midst. So Luke's making this very very clear connection 
between the reality of the encounter that the disciples had with the risen Lord and the way that we <coughs> encounter the self-same risen Lord in word and in sacrament. Whenever we gather in worship, whenever we, we read and study the word and hear it proclaimed and gather around the Lord's table, we're truly encountering the same Lord that the disciples knew and that they encountered. So that makes this text that we read this morning all the more interesting. And it makes it all the more applicable for us. Rather than this just being a word uh, to those who were gathered in the upper room when Jesus appeared to them, this passage continues to be a word to those of us who are gathered here today in this very room and followers of Christ, wherever they're gathered together this morning, and every time they and we are gathered together. What we find here in the heart of this passage that we read today is an identifier that Jesus gives to his followers. And this identifier has a, has a charge or a, or a commission embedded in it. And if everything else I've said is true, the link between the earliest disciples and their encounters with the risen Christ and how we encounter the risen Christ in the same identifier with that same charge, with that commission, comes to all of those, all of us, who belong to Christ today. All of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and as Saviour. So what is this identifier? that Jesus gives to the disciples. What's the identifier? Well, if you look in the passage, you'll see the identifier very clearly in verse 48. Luke chapter 24 and verse 48. If you still have your Bibles open, you'll see what Jesus calls them. He calls them witnesses. You are witnesses of these things is Jesus. Now, that's a word that most of us are very familiar with. We're familiar with what it means to be a witness, particularly if we like uh, shows like Law and Order or, or many of the police procedural dramas that we, that we typically like to watch. Some of us uh, may actually have been called upon to be a witness in some type of criminal trial ourselves. So if we're familiar with the idea of being a witness, there are typically uh, three types of witness. Well, there's actually four types of witness if you count false witnesses. The subject of false witnesses is not something we're going to dwell on today. It's really a topic for another occasion. But let me simply say this. We know that a false witness is someone who speaks lies. The challenge is very often a false witness can be extremely plausible. More than that, if you're not aware that a person is lying, unless you know what the truth actually is, you have no idea that that person actually is a false witness. And that's why it's so important for us as the people of God to do what we're doing. That's why it's so vital for us to search the scriptures together, to determine what the truth is, to determine who the truth is, so that when we encounter something that contradicts the truth, we know that it's false. You can only know a lie is a lie if you know the truth. 
That's all I'm going to say for now about false witnesses. That's one type of witness. But there are, there are three main types of witnesses that we're most familiar with. You've got eyewitnesses, you've got expert witnesses, and you've got character witnesses. And I list them in that order for a very particular reason that I hope, as we progress this morning, will become clear to you. So first of all, eyewitnesses. Well, an eyewitness is someone who's actually been somewhere at a particular uh, a particular time and has seen with their very own eyes a particular event. They may not be aware of all that's going on in, in the event, but they've been in the vicinity and they have a level of familiarity with what happened in the event. They've, they've seen it with their own eyes and can, can speak simply to their own awareness of the event with some level of detail, significant or, or otherwise. I think it's interesting that when Jesus was at table with the disciples in Emmaus, the passage says what? It says that their eyes were opened. They became eyewitnesses. They had a new awareness of the Lord as they were in a particular place at a particular time. But what's interesting is that as soon as they gained that awareness, the Lord vanished from their sight. <coughs> what's also interesting is that as the disciples walked around with Jesus as literal eyewitnesses for the time of his earthly ministry, they had no idea who he really was. They had no concept of who he was at all. They were constantly described by Jesus himself as you of little faith. They had an awareness of Jesus, but being an eyewitness only took them so far. It only took them so far. They needed more than just their eyes to be open. So that leads us into the second type of witness, the expert witness. An expert witness is someone who is intimately familiar with a particular subject or a particular topic. They've studied it. They know it inside and out. They know all about it. They can be called upon to give a purely, to give purely factual information about something. It strikes me that there's a sense in which these disciples, as they were gathered in the upper room, became a type of expert witness. It says their minds were opened. Throughout his earthly ministry, I have little doubt that the disciples, as they spent time with the Lord, gained a lot of insights into, into, into who he was and knew a lot about what he was teaching. If we take the Gospels at face value, then it seems like they remembered a lot about his sermons. Uh, they, 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 they remembered a lot about the teaching that he gave. They embraced much of it at an intellectual level. They could be said to be expert witnesses. But here's the thing about expert witnesses, and I'm oversimplifying this. Please understand. Although an expert witness may know a lot about something, they may not know the thing itself. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's say, let's say my wife had written a book about herself. And let's say I'd never actually met my wife. And the only way I knew anything about her was to have read the book that she had written. Now the book might go into an awful lot of details about her life. It might talk about some of her joys and some of her sorrows. It might get into some of the feelings and opinions that she has 
about certain things. I might read the book from cover to cover. I might go so far as to memorize the entire book and be able to quote sections of it. I could say that I, by reading the book, I could say I know all about Maureen Patterson. But until I actually met her, I could never say that I know her. It's living with her these past 24 years. Talking with her daily, listening to her joys and her fears, knowing what makes her laugh and knowing what annoys her. Knowing what she likes and what will drive her to distraction, knowing her moods and her feelings. You see, it's only with a a relationship with her that I can say I truly know her. Just as much as being an eyewitness can only take you so far, being an expert witness can only take you so far as well. I hope by now you kind of see where I'm going with this. The third type of witness, if you remember, is called a character witness. The one who's not just read the book, but the one who knows the author of the book, who knows the person inside out, can vouch for them absolutely and speak of them with absolute integrity. (coughs) One of the points of transformation in this chapter is when the disciples are with Jesus in Emmaus. He's disappeared from them after making himself known and we're told that they turn to one another and they say to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the way? You see, the transformation that Christ brings is not just an opening of the eyes. It's not simply an opening of the mind. But it's a transformation of the heart. It's a phrase that we don't find in Luke 24, but we do find it elsewhere. When we find that people who hear the gospel and have a life-changing encounter with the risen Lord, we're told that their hearts are opened and I think there's a very real sense that this is what's happening in this encounter particularly at the beginning of this chapter when the women come to the tomb and they remember the Lord their hearts are open aren't they to the reality of who he is they know him That was the Apostle Paul's desire that he expresses so clearly in his letter to the Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. John MacArthur, in one of his sermons, tells the story of a a famous American actor who had been invited to a dinner party to give a talk on his acting technique. At the end of the talk, he he asked his audience to suggest to him any piece of work and he would perform that piece of work to them. No one could come up with anything. No one was making any suggestions until an old preacher, who for some reason was in the room, uh, stood up and suggested that this actor recite the 23rd Psalm. The actor happened to be familiar with the words, so with, with great with great eloquence, with great aplomb, 
he recited this most beautiful rendition of that particular psalm. When he finished, the audience stood up and gave him a, a resounding round of applause. And then the actor turned to the old man and, and said, Sir, why don't you recite the psalm for us? So the old man was, was flustered. He wasn't expecting that at all. But he coughed <clears throat> and, and began a, a faltering rendition. His voice was breaking in his nerves before such a fine actor and such a fine audience. But when this old man finished his recitation of the psalm, there was no round of applause. But there was no dry eye in the house. Aware of his own emotion, the actor cleared his throat and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I reached your eyes and I reached your mind. But this man reached your heart. But here's the difference. I might know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. He knows the shepherd. The question to you today is do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? Not do you know about him, because you do know about him. That's not the question. Do you know him? The reality is that you can only be a witness to what you know. We say in our mission statement, printed in the bulletin, that we want others to know the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. Well, friends, unless you know that yourself, unless you know that reconciling love, you cannot give it to others. You can never give away what you do not possess. Let me share with you one more thing. You may or may not know that the Greek word for witness <coughs> is the word martus. Martus is the word where we get a much more familiar word, martyr, from. Martyr is, a martyr is someone for whom the truth that they cling to and the truth that they tell is all-encompassing. It's so vital to their very existence that in relation to that truth, their life is of little or no significance. They would give their life rather than relinquish that truth. Do you know Christ like that? For the Christian, we've already laid down our lives. When we came to the foot of the cross, we put ourselves to death, and Christ was made alive in us. The New Testament talks again and again about those who belong to Christ, dying to self, dying to sin, and being made alive in Christ Jesus. You see, that's what it means to be a witness. It's an all or nothing proposition. Hudson Taylor, one of the great pioneer missionaries to China, is quoted once as saying, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. 
Peter said in Mark's gospel, we, Lord, have left everything to follow you. And in John's gospel, when so many of the other disciples were leaving Jesus, Jesus turns to Peter and he says to him, they've all gone, are you not leaving as well? And Peter responds and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? There's nowhere else for us to go. You have the words of eternal life. No one else does. Dearly beloved, can you echo these words? <coughs> Today, may the Holy Spirit open your eyes that you might see Him. Today, may the Holy Spirit open your mind that you may learn who He is. Today, may the Holy Spirit open your heart that you might know him and that you might love him. And today, may the Holy Spirit bring you to the foot of the cross that you might die to yourself and live for him as his witness. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.